Hello, and welcome back to our podcast. We are the Therapy Sisters, and we recently changed the name of our podcast to Beyond Sacred Scars, Women Reclaiming Their Narratives from Religious Wounds. This year, we're tackling the very big topic of religious or spiritual wounds and trauma, and we understand that this may be an uncomfortable topic for some. For the purposes of this podcast, we are not talking about the big traumas that permeate all too many religious communities, but we're focusing on narratives of religious patriarchal shame so many women are working to release in adulthood. If at any point these conversations feel triggering to your experience, please feel free to turn this off and go take good care of yourself. If these conversations feel uncomfortable, but not necessarily triggering, we encourage you to embrace your discomfort and get curious about it, what, what it may be telling you. In all things, we hope to elevate women's stories of stepping into their own power and reclaiming their narratives. So welcome. Rachel, do you want to introduce our guest for today? I do. I have to unmute myself. <laughs> That's how I'd like to introduce Beth Green, who lives in Fort Collins, Colorado. Most importantly, Beth is my childhood best friend just so everyone knows <laughs> before I tell you how amazing she is. So um, Beth lives in Fort Collins, Colorado with her sweet little boy, Will, who's now 10, right? It's a little preteenish, maybe. <laughs> um, and her animals. Beth is a school counselor by trade, but she also is an LPC and believes deeply in loving others and that we are made for connection to one another and the world around us. It sounds very familiar <laughs> in the alignment. Um, Beth and I have known each other. I don't know Beth, like, I mean, we grew up together, but when do we become friends? Like high school-ish? I think it's high school. Yeah. Probably when we were freshmen. Okay. I don't even remember, but we were both super involved in youth groups together in ministry team. And yeah, like I still have the doc picture Beth upstairs. Like I just took it away. So my kids don't ruin it because it's still very meaningful to me. <laughs> lots of inside jokes and lots of wonderful memories. And yeah, like you're in each other's weddings and then have been through some hard things together. And I think it's really beautiful how in difficult times, even if it's something we haven't talked in a few years, like somehow we come back to each other and connect like no time has gone. So yeah, so that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> and I mean, I think through, I think through um, just talking and I'm probably in a different place than I was when I saw you all those years ago, but just talking about kind of our narratives and our stories kind of create a space for like conversations and kind of walking, watching you go through like just some major things in your life that shifted some things for you. Um, when we were making our list of people at interview, I'm like, we got to see if Beth will do it. We got to see if Beth will do it. So I'm so glad you did. So this is a very broad question, but do you want to tell us your story, Beth? Yeah. Thank you for having me. And it is really fun to, to be back together. And I do feel like it's like, we don't miss a beat, which is great too. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, growing up. So grew up in McPherson. Um, and I know that you've talked about that a little bit. Um, and I think, you know, as I was thinking back on it, like McPherson itself is a faith community. Um, the majority of people belong some to some sort of faith community there. And so I think it was really like it was just a part of who we were growing up that that's you were belong to a church or some some sort of faith. Um, and so, and it was, so it was just embedded in what, what we did every day and, and throughout our lives, um, growing up. But I think that I have some really like distinct memories as, as a child, like church wasn't like a super like important thing to me. It was just what we did. 
Um, but I do have this really um, just powerful moment, I think, as a child. And I do want to say, too, like, both of you have shared that, like, I adore my family um, and I adore their faith and I have a ton of respect for them. Um, and my journey out of the faith that I grew up in has nothing to do with, like, a rebellion against them um, or anything with that. Like, now we have very, like, my mom and I especially have great conversations about it. She's one of my closest friends. Um, but, um, so I just want to say that, cause I think that for me, that still is something that's really important to me is to have that relationship with them. But I have this memory as a child, um, going to vacation Bible school. Cause you know, that's what we did. And this was at a friend's church as well. Cause you just went to all the vacation Bible schools. And I remember sitting in the audience and the pastor was up in the, like up on the stage or, or somebody was up on the stage directing us and we're, we were all singing and um afterwards after we finished the song he stopped and he's like okay we're gonna sing this song one more time but this time i'm gonna be watching you all and i'm gonna be looking for the person who's really singing with a lot of heart and i can tell god is really moving through them and and he said like whoever i find that's doing that i'm gonna pull them up on stage afterwards to sing in front of everyone and in my head i was like oh, I got this. I know what he's looking for. <laughs> funny because I'm like kind of a more reserved person, but I also really loved like the spotlight in some ways too. And so I was like, oh, I got this. I can do this. So I remember like closing my eyes, lip syncing the song because I wasn't going to sing out loud and just like giving it all I got. And he called me up afterwards on stage and I had to sing it in front of everyone. I have it on the cassette tape. Um, but I like it was a funny memory, but I also think like when I look back on it, I think that that's a memory now where I knew what the adult was looking for and I knew how to please the adult in that situation. And I think that I continued that in my faith journey throughout of like I knew I did what was right by the adult, but there was this disconnect of I didn't know it was right for me. And I didn't know what I believed. I did it because the adult expected that of me. And I didn't want to disappoint that person. Um, and that funny story was also because I wanted the spotlight. But <laughs> I think that I, I continued that narrative for a long time of like, I'm going to do what's right because it's what the adult wants me to do. Um, and so I think that that continued just to play out for me um, in a lot of different ways. Um, and just being a really impressionable girl. Um, and I think it plays into the fact too of like being a pretty insecure person um, throughout high school. Um, Cause I think, you know, as we skip ahead I think high school is when my faith became my identity. Um, but I was really insecure. Um, but I also knew how to play the game and I knew how to act confident. And I knew how to act secure, um, but inside it was a mess in a lot of ways. And Rachel went through those moments together. We were in those moments together. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, that high school is really where I think like it became who I was. Um, but I also think it's when I started to have a lot more questions too. Um, and I think it was, my mom used to always tell me that whatever I believed, I needed to know the other side so I could defend what I believed. And I'm super thankful that she instilled that sense of curiosity and that sense of like critical thinking. Um, and so I as a senior in high school, I took an independent study class um, and I, where I just got to like work with the, the history teacher. 
Um, and I did it on world religions. And um, so I just wanted to dive into all the religions and I dove into like cults. I dove into all sorts of stuff um, and had to like write a paper on it in the end. And I remember it being a really powerful experience um, to learn about like the history and to learn about faith in all these different areas and cultures. Um, and it caused me just to start thinking um, and really to look at that like right versus wrong again. Um, and thinking about how can I think that my way is the only right way when there's all like, like, you know, all of this history that goes back so long. Um, and when we talk about like intentional versus unintentional harm, like some of it where there was some really intentional harm that was done. Um, and I don't think that like my faith journey that there was um, intentional harm. I really think it was unintentional, but um, it was hard for me to reconcile that, um, to start to really think that way. Um, so I think that that's where I started to think things, but it was still very much a part of me. My faith was still very much a part of who I was, um, and where I was going in life. Um, but I was also really lost and really confused. <laughs> um, cause then I was like, what, I didn't know what to do with my life after I graduated high school. I know like I wanted to live overseas. <laughs> I know oh, yeah. Rachel, I don't know if you remember, like I thought my purpose in life was to die young. Like I thought, like I, you know, but but I think that's kind of what we were taught. Like to be a good Christian, you have to be a martyr, you know. Yes, yes. And I, it's interesting because I maybe I don't remember this, but I don't remember you ever telling me you studied that in high school. And I wonder, like I was thinking about how, like, to have all that information and not be able to share it, right? Because I also think you and I had this like bond of being like kind of the leaders in some ways, in like the good Christian girl, like. um, I guess, movement, if you will. Right. And yeah. so I think there was like very much an identity of that. And I remember feeling like we feeling that sense of like, we need to be the ones to like stand strong. Right. Like we are so convicted. So I don't even know if I knew that about high school. Yeah, you're right. Maybe I didn't share it. It may have been like a very, like almost secretive, like I'm going to dig into this, but nobody's going to know. <laughs> well, right. Cause like, is that a safe thing? But I also think it's super incredible that your mom instilled that in you. Cause I don't think I started to critically think till much older, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 But you didn't die young and I'm glad. I did it. That did not work out. But I like, my plan was to like go overseas um, and to yeah. be a martyr. And now I think about it, that's a heavy weight for young kids to carry, to think like, that's what we have to do to make a difference in the world. Uh, but it was very much like we, we thought that that's what we were made to do. Um, and thank you. Yeah, yeah. There was this, there was this like epic, this epic sense, like, because I felt the same way. Like if I'm going to do something in this world, that's meaningful, it's big. Mm -hmm. And you know, in some ways that really my personality, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I think it also, then contributed to let down later on like as the realities of the world sort of hit me realities of like how slow change and how you know, how, how many obstacles there are and and just all those kinds of things so like this mix of like this this epic this epic purpose placed upon you combined with disconnection from I, I guess like I, I, I the, the tend to idealize things in youth, right? And so, yeah. which is that that's that's kind of beautiful, right? Like you get big ideas, you things, but like you said, that's a really heavy weight to kind of have on your like kid. Mm -hmm. 
So, and then I'm thinking about your, what you're saying, like the things that you were studying. And I'm, I'm wondering, was there for you, you know, like Rachel was your best friend and, and she didn't. So I'm, <laughs> I'm curious, looking back, was there a sense of shame around that? Like, yeah. like a lack of permission or if I'm learning about, even though your mom's encouraging it, if I'm thinking about some of these alternative sorts of believing or interacting with the world, you know, that won't be acceptable. And so it can't, I don't know if it was that like, I'm just curious, like if there was an internalized sense of shame or lack of permission, you think for mm -hmm. some of the secrecy around that? I absolutely do. Yeah. And I think, you know, I went into signing, like wanting to do that independent study as a way to like justify like this is why I believe but in the end it like came out of like oh I have a ton more questions and I think it was like I think very much a lot of shame around like am I supposed to be thinking this way because I'm supposed to only view it this way I'm only supposed to have these thoughts around faith and um, what I believe and so I think that there definitely was um, and probably things that I didn't allow myself to fully process until years later um, that I kind of just suppressed uh, yeah yeah so as you like ask those questions and interactive questions, did you, was there any, you felt like you could talk to about those things or was that kind of a lonely process for you? I would say it was a very lonely process. Yes. I think I don't remember um, ever really talking to anybody about any of those questions. Um, I, and, and it's definitely something I've had, I've learned too, of like, I just shove it down. Like I did that a lot as a kid, just shove it down. Just don't let yourself process it. Um, then as adults, I'm like, Ooh, that doesn't, that is not healthy. Um, and so I think I, I think I just did that. It was a very lonely process. Um, you know, one of the, as I thought through some of this too, is like the church and my faith, like instilled some really great practices of being like very <laughs> reflective and journaling and things like that. Um, and so I think that's what I, that's where I processed things of like, I'd go for long mm -hmm. walks. Um, my parents lived out in the country and I would just like hole up in like a little field with my journal and just like process that way. Um, but not with another person, which is interesting because I really hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. So moving past high school, what happened in your story, Beth? <laughs> yes. So then, so I, it's funny too, because I really had no clue what to do after high school um, when it didn't work out for me to go live overseas. Um, so I ended up at our small hometown college, um, which was never my plan in life, but it's where I ended up. And I, I actually, it was another like funny, like weird story, but I went for a walk, um, cause that is how I processed things. And I remember telling God that where, um, I didn't know what to do, where was I supposed to go to school if I was supposed to go to school? Um, and so I told God in my, on my walk that the next flyer I got in the mail is where I was going to school. Well, it was not the hometown college. This was the college. I, it was a ways away. Um, but I applied, got accepted and decided I was going to go to that school. Um, <laughs> and then I decided to like, look into what this school actually was. I was like, there's no way I could go there. Like I had to take out my nose ring. I couldn't wear my red jeans. It was a super conservative school. <laughs> and I liked those things about myself. Like I like to express myself in my style. And I was like, they're gonna, they're not taking that from me. Um, so I ended up at our hometown college. Um, <laughs> there, once still though, a pretty conservative, um, 
very small, um, like 300 students, including off campus. Um, so very, very small. Um, so I went there still really lost as to what my purpose was. What was I supposed to do with my life? I thought I'd go into ministry because that was all I knew. Um, I knew that like I was a helper and I knew that I, I love to work with kids, especially, but I didn't know how else to do that except for to go into ministry. Um, but I also really didn't want to stay in school. So I decided to do a liberal arts degree instead. Um, so I could get out quick. Um, <laughs> uh, but I also got married, um, and I got married super young. I was 21. Um, and he was also at that school, um, and was going to be a youth pastor. Um, and I think that this is where really like we dove into this thing of marriage because we didn't know what else to do too. Like we were in love, you get married really quick, um, and you start your life together. Um, and we, um, he went into youth, the youth ministry, a town over from where we had grown up. And, um, I joined him in that, um, I, I graduated college, um, and still had no clue what to do. Um, and so I joined him in it. I showed up every day at, he got the job, um, being a youth pastor. I showed up every day with him. Um, I would go and meet kids at lunch at schools. I would, um, teach Sunday school. Like I did it all. Um, but through that experience, it was a lot of pain as well. Um, and he, you know, we'd get called up in front of the church to like recognize us. And they'd often joke about how when they hired him, they got a two for one. Um, but I was never seen as an equal. I was never seen as having a voice. Um, I was not paid for anything that I did. Um, and I was never invited into like any of the planning meetings. Like it was very much like the men were in charge. Um, and that was hard. That was hard for me because I, I think that's when I started to recognize, like, I could not play the submissive role. I didn't know how to do that. Um, but that's what I was, was supposed to do. Um, but I just didn't fit. Um, and so I started, so I, I no longer went in with him. Um, and I started working in a nonprofit that was school-based, which is where I fell in love with schools and why I went back to school, um, to become a school counselor then. Um, and that's where I really like, I love the work that I do within schools, um, and really found a passion for that. Um, but it was also in that time, well, he was a youth pastor that we started in LLC. Um, and we were trying to live out what we thought the church was supposed to be. And we, um, we chose to live in a poor neighborhood in every Sunday, we'd invite all the kids and the families in the neighborhood together and we would play and then we would cook dinner together and we'd eat together. Um, there was never like um, any like religious undertones to it. It was just like, let's come together as a community and let's feed each other and um, talk. Um, and it was some really amazing experiences of like helping to buy a house for a family, buying groceries, um, the kids running through our house um, where these families relied. We, we learned to rely on each other. Um, but the church that employed um, my ex-husband, my husband at the time, um, they were not happy with this. They um, were not happy that we were not inviting the people into the church, um, that they were not financially contributing to the church. Um, and so they started to count our times together on the attendance logs just to make their numbers look better. Um, but they also started to question everything we were teaching and everything we were telling kids. Um, it was a really pretty, it was a really awful, awful experience. Um, of just how they they chose to treat us when we really felt like this is what we like at the time like 
this is what it's about. Like, it's just living among the people and being with the people. Um, and we were pretty much told, no, like you can't do that. Um, so we left the church. We didn't say, um, and then I, it was a really hard time. Um, we were pretty broken. Um, and I know, like, I know we're not alone and I've heard, you know, like both of you have similar experiences of like starting out in your twenties in a church and it does not go well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I think it was after that, that I, I really feel like the walls came down. Um, and I was continuing to read, um, read a lot of Rob Bell, um, who like, really, like I started to question a lot of things. Um, and he asked a lot of questions that a lot of like traditional people did not like, um, and, um, started to really question my own thoughts and feelings. And I think probably allowing myself to actually draw on things that I had learned, um, like later in high school too. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of it feels like a blur during that time. Um, and I don't know if that's like, I'm still learning how to peel back some of those layers. Um, but I also was a time where I just feel like every day I'd wake up and it would feel lighter and lighter. Um, and like, I was just like releasing, um, and letting go. I think there was still, um, a lot of shame. There was a lot of guilt, um, of not doing things right. Um, or that we failed. Um, but also realizing like, I, like, as I like came out of that experience, um, and continued actually to still like love on these families and meet with these families with no like, um, religious undertones to it was like, this is more of who I am and more in line with my core beliefs, um, just about how the world operates. Um, and it just no longer lined up with the faith that I grew up with. Um, it felt like they, they were, um, intention and I just couldn't reconcile that. And I couldn't continue to be that little girl in the pew, like trying to fake it, um, because it, it just wasn't me anymore. And I was choosing what was right for me. Um, and I think it was like one of those first times where I was like really choosing what's right for me. Um, not because it's what others are expecting of me. Um, but it was, and I think I was angry also for a really long time. I was really angry, um, at a lot of things from my faith. Um, and I would get really upset about a lot of stuff when people would talk to me or, um, I hear things, um, being very, very cynical. Um, and I, I'm so thankful that, you know, like my healing journey has allowed me to no longer carry that with me. Um, because that's, that was a hard place to be. I don't feel anger very well. I don't like feeling angry. Um, but I had to learn how to embrace that anger too. Um, so I guess like from that, like, it still is a continual journey of like feeling like, what is like, who am I? Because that was my identity for so long. Um, and now coming out of it, like, I don't hold on to those, that, that the faith that I grew up with any longer. Um, and sometimes that's really hard to like say out loud, (laughs) um, because it was part of who I was for so long. But I also am like, I feel so much more me than I have ever felt. And sometimes that comes with age as, and experiences and all of that. But I, I think even after coming out of that, I have just felt so whole. Um, and I don't feel like I carry that shame and that guilt. I feel at peace and I feel more connected to the world around me than I did before. Um, more open to just love and less judgment. And yeah. I was thinking as you were talking, Beth, about like the 
cynical anger. I definitely sat in that space for a couple of years too. And I think that's like such a necessary part of grief. Mm-hmm. Like when yeah. you really think about like walking away, not walking away, like, I don't know what, what the right word would be, like moving into your authentic truth, right? Like there's a, there's a part of, because I think sometimes people think when a faith community no longer works for you, that that's like maybe flippant or easy or like, oh, she's, you know, gone awry. Like I think people forget that like, that's really, really, really hard when you're the one who can no longer make it align anymore. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot that goes with that, especially when it's like your whole life, right? Like your whole, everything you've ever done. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and we've talked a lot that like how it's, it, it's, it, it is to take crisis and yeah. that's one of the reasons the process like that is so painful because you really do have to shed that you have associated with yourself and that you identify with sometimes to be able to connect with who you are authentically mm-hmm. be honest about some of the questions you have or or how some of the experiences had don't really align with the things taught anymore um it can be it can be really painful and that's one of the reasons why in these conversations because too many of us were alone in that pain mm-hmm. when I think it's like a really healthy process to, to ask questions and to and to what's that or I said uh-huh <laughs> oh <laughs> I thought you added something but to ask questions and to and to really evaluate and um and to weigh kind of like what does my experience in life tell me what does how does that line up with what I've been taught sometimes you're gonna land you know, like our last interviewee Jamie you're gonna land in a more solidified but very different mm-hmm. type of faith and other are gonna land on that other side of the spectrum where it's like you know I have to shed those beliefs because they they aren't certainly they aren't aligning with me anymore and I think both whichever direction you go, it's authentic journey. And it is a return to yourself, right? Maybe for the first time ever. Um, but I did hear a few, when we're, we're talking narratives, we're talking things that, especially mm-hmm. as women that we've internalized. And I did hear a few things in what you were sharing, Beth. So mm-hmm. one's kind of like, well, that earlier one, that, that sense of purpose, the epic mm-hmm. mission our lives have to have or we are failing like I mean that's what it right. like you better figure it out and you better do it or you're failing God yourself your family church like yeah it's so so that's one but then interestingly as a woman that is sort of juxtaposed alongside of that idea of like you are the inferior gender mm-hmm. and like sure God's got a plan for you but only <laughs> if your husband's okay with it number one and number right. two, only if it fits into like, you know, that role of also reproducing and, uh-huh. you know, so like, I, I'm curious if that, if that resonates, if that, to me, that's a really interesting clash of like, you've got this deep sense of purpose imbued within you, but then, you know, you've also got this role you're supposed to plug yourself into. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, it definitely resonates. And it's something I think even like, I still like carry with me of that sense of like, cause I think as a little girl, like I knew like, I have a voice, I have something to share and I'm worth something, but I just like, it was really beat down for a very long time. Um, and I, and I think then going into it and being where I'm supposed to be the submissive wife, where I just struggled with that. Um, especially like in this like community of people that I was supposed to be that in, and that's how they viewed me. 
Um, and I struggled with infertility. I wanted, I was ready to start having babies at 23 and I couldn't. Um, and so there was that sense of shame as well. Like we were still a part of this like faith community where, yeah, you were supposed to be reproducing. We bought this huge house to fill it with babies at the time and I couldn't have a baby. Um, so I think that there was a lot of those narratives that continued to play through for me where I felt like I had failed in a lot of ways. Um, and I didn't know how, I didn't know, like it was just, again, it's that identity crisis. I didn't know where I fit and I didn't know how to be um, in these boxes. I, I just couldn't quite fit into them. Um, so it was, yeah. And I, I still think I unpack a lot of that still. Oh yeah. It's so hard. Like it's so wired into who we are. Right. And yeah. so it really is very conscious work of recognizing when those things come up and like really trying to work to push through, or maybe, you know, act in, in opposition to some of those ingrained beliefs so that we can hopefully change them. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's interesting that like what you said about your struggle with fertility too, like there really is this, I think one of the big narratives is and I, no one ever said this to me directly, right? But one of the big narratives that I I felt and that I think I hear a lot is, you know, that you like one of your purposes, maybe your your main purpose is to have children. Mm-hmm. And so all these women who struggle with fertility, you know, how then, especially if you've grown up with that narrative, how that then becomes shame directed back at yourself, like something's mm-hmm. wrong with me something's broken and then it gets spiritualized like what's not right with, what's not right with god it's part yeah. of my mother calling um <laughs> what's what 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 do i need to get right with god or what am i not doing that's preventing me from having the thing that i'm supposed to have and this and fulfill this purpose that i'm supposed to fulfill mm-hmm. there, it's just it's so complex there's so many layers there yes yeah definitely mm-hmm. yeah And I think, you know, it plays into it too. Like one of, I was thinking of another way that it continues is like, even with like struggling with infertility and like there's the shame of my physical body that it's not cooperating Mm -hmm. and it's not doing what it's supposed to do. Um, But I think like, like as women as well, like I had a lot of shame towards my body because it could cause others to sin too. And so there's like that as well. Like, even I remember just several years ago, like, the swimsuit I had on and like being so self-conscious about it. And I'm like, Oh my God, like it's still in there. Like that little voice. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's like, we like, it's a beautiful, like our bodies are beautiful. Um, But Mm -hmm. I wasn't ever really like allowed to feel that. And I don't think anybody ever outright said that, um, but it was just part of it. Yeah. Yeah, The female body was not celebrated, is not celebrated. Mm-hmm. it isn't it has a purpose for breeding yeah. and then it's yeah. um and then it's like a it's a stumbling right quote unquote yes. it's yes. it's something that like you said creates struggle for other people and mm-hmm. so how do you not inherently feel a shape your body and then when you have goals with again with you know getting pregnant or miscarrying or whatever that struggle is which so many women do I, my first pregnancy also ended in miscarriage and so like it just, I think it's just easy then to, to internalize the shame around that. Like, mm-hmm. because you are, it's already there. It's already, it's just mm-hmm. another layer. Yeah. The other, the other narrative that I kind of heard, um, was in your part of the story about reaching out to community and like you guys thought was the right thing or the mm-hmm. sense of calling or the way that you saw faith being 
perspective in the world and that rubbing against what your church did. Mm-hmm. And that can feel so confusing too, because like, it, Rachel and I are going to talk about this as a separate narrative, but like, I'm doing everything right here. So why is going wrong? Yeah, Like mm-hmm. we're following what we think is a calling on our lives. So why did our lives just go to hell? Mm-hmm. You know? And so like, I think that's another narrative that then like real life experience kind of sometimes throws over to that idea. And it's really hard to, to get your, yeah, to get your grounding yeah, um, and to understand. So, yeah. So now here we are, fast forward years yeah. later. <laughs> what do you like, what are you currently learning? What like lights you up right now? Um, mm. What connects you? Maybe if it's, if it, if your face doesn't look the same as it did before, what connects you on like a spiritual level? And I don't know if, if you to any of our earlier past, but we just, we sort of, we define the connection to like self, others around you and sort of things. So within that definition, I'm just curious, like where those things are for you. Yeah, it's a great, um, a great question, a great thing to reflect on. And I, like, I feel like at this point in my life too, like my connections to, I mean, to my son and then I love my animals as well. And like, um, also living where I live, which I recognize as a privilege, um, that I was able to get out of my hometown and be where I am today, um, which has a lot more the, the ability, um, to just think a little more open-minded, um, but I'm also deeply connected to nature. Um, nature is definitely, and I think that that was something as a kid that was instilled in me having lived out in the country. Um, but, I, that is where I find my peace. And that's where, like, I find like where I'm regulated. Um, is if I can step out, if I can go into the mountains, if I can go on a run, um, if I can just just sit in my backyard um, and let the sun soak on me. Like that is where I feel um, the most peace is when I'm in nature. Um, and then also I think just my connection, like as I've gotten older too, I mean, friendships are hard in general, um, especially as an adult to make friends and moving here was, that was quite the journey because I had no friends. Um, and that's a whole other story. (laughs) Um, but I, um, have found such an amazing group of women here, um, who challenge me in the way I think, and, um, who also support me in everything. Um, and so I feel like those connections for me, um, run really deep. Um, and that's what gives me joy and gives me life, um, to be able just to connect with them. And I'm so thankful, um, that these people have, have found their, we found ourselves together. Um, at this point in our lives. And some of that is through like our sons, you know, like whether it's like the friendships that they've built um, or it's just, or it's just like friends that I've just met randomly. Um, but um, those are some of the biggest connections I think for me is, is um, being with my family, um, being with my friends and just being outdoors and being in nature. And that's where I find, find like, I can, I can keep doing this. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting because um, knowing you, that was always there, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like it was always there. And it's funny because like you probably heard us talk about that too. Like, we're the same, like nature, our children, our animals, like same right. thing, right? Like, <laughs> so funny how, um, yeah, it was always there. You just had to kind of learn to call upon it. Like, you just mm-hmm. didn't know for sure. Or even that it was okay to like call upon something that was in, was, like was in you. Because I think the narrative has to be outside of you, you know? So yeah, yeah. so good. Um. I think journeying is tricky and I'm not sure, like we're both in the clinical setting. Are you doing any therapy outside of the school, Beth? 
I'm not currently practicing okay. outside of school. Um, so, and I should clarify, LPC is um, licensed professional counselor. Which I didn't even know. I didn't even know that was um, you oh. have a similar profession. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 Um, which is kind of funny. We both ended up doing similar things too, but. I know. <laughs> Um, but like, what advice would you give someone who's on a journey, maybe just starting or like, I mean, I think even acknowledging it's a journey is a huge step, right? Cause I remember, I remember where Karis, I remember where I was driving. I remember where I was driving. I remember where I was back when you called me and told me you were pregnant with Will. I was in the oh. airport and I remember where I was, when you and I were on the phone, Karis, I was getting my mail at my old house and we were talking about the concept of being on a journey in spirituality and then I pulled into my driveway it's funny how I have these like memories of like really important things but even like in the permission of like journeying that's almost like a, it's a little it's a little anxiety producing because it's not black and white and it's yeah. not like you know I think like I mean I, I've known you so the narrative is like be the good girl right and I think you're still a good girl and so <laughs> thanks in case you were worried I, mean, yeah. I guess So, um, what advice would you give somebody else who maybe is starting to journey or going through a process of just kind of thinking through things? Yeah, that's really good to think about. Um, I do. I think that, yeah, you don't have to have it all figured out right now and you may never have it all figured out. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think that sounds really scary. Um, mm -hmm. but there's also like this sense of like, okay, like I don't have to know it all. Like I'm gonna, like, as I go, like, I'm going to learn more. And I guess like that ability to say, like, ask the questions and lean on your people, um, you know, find your support network that you can lean on that you're safe with, um, and, and be okay living in that gray, um, in that, that messiness. Um, cause I think we, that's just, that's life in general. Like I don't, it's not black and white, um, mm -hmm. And so I, I think being able to say like, you can live in that messiness and you can call out for help. Like we're like, people are here to help. Um, you don't have to do it alone. Um, and no matter, I think too, like it, it's reassuring. Cause I have, you know, like I respect the people around me and their different walks and wherever they're at. And I think for people to recognize too, like whatever, like if I'm with somebody who's questioning, like whatever, however they choose and whatever they decide, like, I'm still going to mm -hmm. love you. Like, it's not going to change that. And I think that was a fear for me. Oh, like, yeah. how are people going to view me? What are they going to think about me? And I want others to be like, I'm still going to love you for who you are. Like, if you're mm -hmm. tapping into like your deepest self and who you are, I'm going to love you the more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love everything about that answer. I think, you know, Rachel and I, I both, I know I can speak for you, Rachel, because we've talked about this so many times, but we resonate <laughs> with all of that. Like, Mm -hmm. that life I mean the reality is life does is not black and white there's so much that happens in the gray and yeah that that message of surrounding it doesn't have to be a lonely painful mm -hmm. process it might still be painful because it's yeah. you know but it doesn't have to be lonely and so mm -hmm. I think that's such good advice find your people and and stick close to them and and just be honest about where you're at yeah yeah and I also I also think too like when we were talking about um kind of going more into our nation, talking about some of our hesitation of moving into that. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that we talked about was about how um, being uncomfortable isn't necessarily a negative thing, mm -hmm. right? Like it doesn't, mm -hmm. it's not bad. And I think, 
I think sometimes it's hard to decipher, like, is the discomfort something that I need to really look at in this way or in this way? But I think it's just uncomfortable because you're shifting something, you know? And I think sometimes the most beautiful things happen are discomfort, you know? And like for you, Beth, you know, you found connection and beauty and friendships that you probably wouldn't have had otherwise, you right. know, in a whole different mm -hmm. way. And so I think that, um, yeah, it's all just information to figure out, you know, as you kind of go through a process because mm -hmm. life's so you know so yeah 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 but also like, how terrifying it can sound like that yeah. hey you don't have to have it all figured out which <laughs> I know I personally I, I lived in that place of terror for a long time oh, yeah. I, I felt this really strong sense of pressure like I have got I have got to figure out how to answer these questions for myself mm -hmm. and exactly what I believe or I don't know how to raise my kids I don't know how to in our world I don't know who I am you know yeah. and I think when I was able to kind of release that pressure I was putting on myself that's when like some of the peace got place to move in because I think just coming to a place of detaching from having to have all those answers um that is so freeing you know yeah. like it's okay I might not ever figure this this out but that's maybe that's not for me right to have answers to or you know as long as I think we stay open and we're doing that work to continue to grow ourselves like there's you know there's nothing there's no boxes we have to fit ourselves into and there's no we don't have to have all everything answered and yeah so there's 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 so much space for that and I think when we can wrap our heads around that that, that there is a lot of freedom in that and engaging with those things that way it feels a whole lot better than the terror <laughs> that comes with the other the other way of, of kind of engaging with those questions mm -hmm. yeah yes <laughs> so any final thoughts Rachel or Beth for me <laughs> before we wrap up our 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 interview for today Nothing I was just thinking oh what I said not to put anyone on the spot. I oh, no. wanted to give I'm, the opportunity. I was just thinking as you were talking about kind of that tear, like that's very much the narrative to growing up of like the, like the black and white thinking, the right or wrong thinking. And so I think that's why like the concept of journey is hard for people because it wasn't allowed. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah. is it okay? Like, is it okay? And am I, am I still good if I'm not sure? Like, I think there's, it's just, it is a crisis, right? And I think, I think grief is a really good way of describing that because I think I remember being in kind of a cynical space path for like a good few mm -hmm. years and like almost feeling mad at myself. Like, why can't I move past this? Like, why can't mm -hmm. I? But now I think like I was exactly where I needed to be. Like mm -hmm. I needed to be in that space for a few years to be able to figure some things out and keep moving forward, you know? And I don't know, like, I, I think it's so good to view our emotional spaces as just information instead of like this, like panic of like, oh my gosh, I need to figure yeah. it out. So figuring it out is like, that's also like such a narrative, you know, instead of like, you have permission to just be. And I think yeah. that is where peace, peace can be found. Like I, I often think about that. Like peace, peace is already within me. Like I just have to call upon my peace sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah. Do you think, you know, something else, like when, as you were talking there too, Rachel, I think about is like with grief of like, mm -hmm. it doesn't always go like in these like succinct stages, you know, and it comes like, right. I still like find myself super cynical sometimes um about certain things and I'm like oh it's still like brewing in there sometimes <laughs> like but allowing myself to recognize that that's okay it's okay but I'm not gonna let myself stay there I'm gonna experience it and I'm gonna move on 
Um, or like those like periods of shame, you know, like going through a divorce, like adult, like another wave of like, oh my God, like how's the, my, you know, like how's my family going to view this? Did I fail them? Like you go through all of those things again. Um, and I think like that's good for people too, just to know, like it doesn't, it comes in these waves and it goes through these cycles, but you continue to rely on your peace and you continue to rely on the things that, that have helped you get through it. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I think too, like what both of you are talking about, is such a good example of how we, when we're at it, just suffering for us. Right. So you're already in this place where you don't know how, you don't know how to navigate it. Maybe it's uncharted water or it's, you know, these questions that you have or whatever. And then you're angry at yourself for being this place like mm-hmm. like why can't I just have it all figured out or whatever and that resistance to where you're at just creates those additional layers of of suffering and so I think that's one reason why just getting to a peace with the questions or with your where you are emotionally or with the waves of of grief that that ebb and flow feels so freeing because you're no yeah. longer leaning into that resistance it doesn't change the fact that you still have questions and you still have this emotional journey you're just now open to the journey and you're letting go of the struggle over the fact that you are on a journey. So I think that's a good example of that at play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for being here, Beth. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yes. We're so honored. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it was so it was so nice. And we just want to invite everybody back uh, next week. We're just going to continue these conversations. I can't tell you right now what next week's episode is about because I don't have it in front of me, but it'll be good. We're going to keep exploring narratives. It's relatable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, thanks, Beth. Thank you.